You are listening to Checkbox Outreach, a podcast that showcases excellence and raises awareness of current issues from those who are directly impacted, but typically not at the table. Now, here are your hosts, Aaliyah Gaskins and Katie Leonard. Hi, welcome to Checkbox Outreach. This is Katie. And this is Aaliyah. And today we are joined by Kelvin Ford. He is passionate about his community and we are excited to hear his story um, and to hear his advice for the mindset shift that is needed in order to promote behavioral and community health. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to talk about uh, some things I'm passionate about. I'm super excited. Kelvin, we met two years ago, three years ago now. And I think you're just a really great example of taking advantage of pretty much every opportunity that's been afforded to you or put in front of you and building relationships and fostering relationships to really go after something and positively impact your community. So I know you just launched Razak. I would love to hear more about that. And then we'll kind of go into how you came to be so amazing and how we can help you and support your and make your dreams come true, Kelvin. You know, with that intro, I don't even got to say now. I can just bow and walk out the room. All right, done. Um, this was the easiest episode ever. Best interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what I will say uh, is uh, uh, I'm Kelvin. I'm the founder operator of Total Razak. Razak is a behavioral health uh, service provider. Behavioral health is addictions and mental health or and or mental health is basically encompassing someone with substance use and someone that has mental health so my aim uh, because i'm because of my upbringing i'm passionate about helping people with those um co-occurring or individual conditions um a little tidbit a little piece of f fyi about total Razak. Razak, uh me getting that name uh has its own his own backstory right but Razak itself means provider uh, in a general term. It means like you're a provider of something. So Total Rezac provides ways to better the community's behavioral health. Awesome. You said that you started this company because of some things in your upbringing. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Um, me being born and raised in the District of Columbia, uh, D.C. General, it's a hospital that I was born at that got turned into a shutdown, turned into a shelter, now it's about to be renovated to luxury apartments. Like, it was the 80s, early 90s uh, when I was born and kind of raised up. So it's a lot of drugs, a lot of this, a lot of that. And like I wasn't spared from everybody in my neighborhood. And everybody's affected by stress certain ways, right? Uh, you can be twins and, and have the exact same upbringing <clears throat> as your twin, but you all going to deal with it differently. The way I dealt with it, it impacted the way I was uh, nurtured and raised, and I didn't want anyone else to, to feel that way if I had an opportunity to help that other person. So uh, when, when I was able and uh, around the time where I met, met Katie for the first time, like that that passion for, for helping people like me kind of got ignited. Uh, and that was April of 2018. So my upbringing, essentially, uh, I used that pain to, to help myself and help others. That's something I think we're not talking about as much as we should, especially in the district, especially in urban areas that are getting redeveloped. Because like you said, the DC General went to being a resource for the community and turned into luxury apartments. And we're seeing that now, even here in Northern Virginia, where the luxury apartment development is really, really massive and people are getting pushed out of their communities 
But for those people that are able to stay in the communities, what services are offered to them? What is the impact of the trauma of being forced out of your neighborhood? And so can you speak a little bit on, I guess, the difference of D.C. when you were growing up to D.C. now and then how that's kind of evolved with you pouring in resources and starting Total Resac? Wow, uh, that's a loaded question. Where should I start, <laughs> should I start with that one? Um, well, firstly, it's a different regime um, in, in respect to where the vision of D.C. is going. Back then in my early childhood, uh, I'm talking way before Adrian Fenty, and that's how far back my mayoral uh, history goes, right? But um, nowadays, Mayor Bowser, I'm most appreciative of her because she has very liberal and progressive uh, programs and funding, meaning like someone who, like me, been to prison, someone who is a, a quote-unquote minority or who is disadvantaged, has many resources uh, to, you know, get over the hump, if you will, especially comparatively to the rest of the country. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if D.C. was like that. I know Marion Barry uh, did some great things with the Summer Youth Employment Program, put a lot of people on, and, and, and I, I know parents and grandparents that are still talking about that to this day. It's 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in respect to my memory, uh, certainly uh, D.C. is is has a lot more resources to help people who's messed up in life than when I was younger. But certainly on the subject of uh, being displaced, D.C. is a very, even today, like a, a hot spot, not only for gentrification, but mass displacement, you know, uh, two sounds, those words, those phrases are used interchangeably, but they, they certainly are different. Uh, gentrification and mass displacement, D.C. has both of them, right? Uh, and, and it's tough seeing people who've been here since their grandparents, but sharing the same house. And, like, for whatever reason, you know, people can't afford it or come together. And just a whole bunch of tradition, customs, values, just because a couple of months of rent is a race. Yep. And it's replaced with money. Uh, new money uh, that's from everywhere, and it looks very Caucasian, you feel me? And that mess, messes up with people's psyche. You know, uh, right now we got a lot of systematic racism, so people going to hop to that, like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, this. But I don't know. It, it's tough. People do need help. During someone's lifetime, people will need some professional help with addiction or some kind of mental health. So I can only imagine how people are, are dealing with the stress of, like I said, being erased, all their culture, for a couple months and, uh, and that's what we're not talking yeah. about we're not talking about those mental health implications of when you know Ali and I are for community development and you some you want that level of reinvestment in communities but we are forgetting the mental and behavioral health aspect of what does that really look like for black and brown communities there's a great um, it's called Root Jock. I don't know if either of you have ever read it, but it's by Mindy Thompson, Full Love. And she talks about, she profiles the city of Pittsburgh, but she talks about sort of what happens when you are displaced and essentially your cultural and social roots are up, like just taken away from you and taken everything from your story to your relationships to the businesses around you and how that leaves a lasting trauma, not only on the folks who were displaced at that moment, but that can go on for generations as your legacy is erased. I think you're right. We don't talk about that. And to your point, Kelvin, we use all of these terms interchangeably. And so it becomes, okay, well, do we not want development? Do we not want revitalization? Well, yes, we do, but we want it to be done in a way that it's actually for the communities that live there and preserves that culture, preserves that history. Aaliyah, you froze. Right. She's going to unfreeze in a second, <laughs> but like, it, it was like, 
fortunately, I, I got everything she said, and I, I, I agree 100%. Uh, me, uh, I kind of thrown an extra variable in, into that subject. Like, I'm a millennial, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not of the older generation, particularly the older black generation as part of my culture. And one of the distinct differences when it comes to behavioral health is, like, the older generation, they're not more likely to talk about their mental health issues. It's like if you if you stressed out or if you got like some really clinical diagnosed issues, like, oh, go walk it off. Oh, she just tripping or he just. Yeah. They ain't yeah. got nothing going on because people are so accustomed uh, to associating core health with what they can diagnose physically. If you can't see uh, an actual diagnosis or something going on, going on with somebody, people just brush it off as if. It's not serious at all, you know what I'm saying? And I see through my personal experience and having like talks with clinics and all that, I see that um, there is a distinct difference between the older generation expressing how they feel inside versus the younger generation, my, my generation and the younger. Yeah, especially I, among I especially among black men. We see a lot of disparities in black men's mental health and the the pressures that are put on black men and what we're seeing now when black men go out into the community, what you guys experience, whether it's through policing, whether it's through how you're perceived on the sidewalk, if somebody clutches their bag when you pass them on the street. And so all of these things are things that need to be on the forefront of the conversation because when we, again, when we talk about community development, mental health is a major piece of that. It is, it is, it is. I was going to pivot to was asking about the impact of Total Rezac. Okay. Great segue. I, I appreciate that opportunity because we certainly uh, I've been talking about some of the uh, the past hurdles and obstacles and problems. How about solutions? So uh, Total Rezac is a, uh, a behavioral health community based solution. Uh, Total Rezac is credible for many reasons. One, uh, like I have the lived experience. I'm from the District of Columbia. I have training and certification from the Department of Behavioral Health. Uh, Total Rezac, its company is contracted out by a core service agency by the name of Hillcrest. has been around for 200 plus years. Although Total Rezac specializes in the uh, peer recovery uh, spectrum that help people out, I have Total Rezac the, uh, resources to provide the full pie of uh, behavioral health services, such as the uh, the clinicians, like a, a addiction counselor, a therapist, a doctor, because of my contractual partnerships, like I can provide the full A to Z total result, uh to someone that has substance and mental health needs. Can you share a story of maybe someone you've worked with or something you've achieved through Total Rezac that you're most most excited about? Well, I have I, I really every day uh, help people with um, whether it be like talking to them on the phone, words of encouragement, giving resources or linking them with a 28-day uh, treatment facility every day. Like, I, I do something to help people out that makes me feel proud. But something that makes me, um, that really stands out, and I think this is uh, noteworthy, is almost like the inception of Total Reset around the time uh, 2018, where I met uh, yours truly, Miss Katie. Uh, and, and DC Community Care, uh, like a, um, a entrepreneur incubator that was really like government funded to help at-risk youth start businesses of their own. Like I can't, I was in that role uh, working through Project Empowerment, and the youth there, the 18, 24-year-olds, I saw me inside of all of them. So uh, an impactful moment was that whole experience of working uh, for. Uh, six to nine months, however long I was working there, helping uh, those, basically helping myself, because uh, when I was helping them, I was learning, 
I was learning about myself and I was learning how to get these resources. But like, um, it was this one gentleman named uh, Khalil. He got interviewed by, uh, through that program uh, by a couple of news stations. Uh, he had a business and like we, him and I became real close. And uh, just me being able to help him navigate through uh, the, the serious things he was going on in life, that was like really solidifying like, all right, I can I can make myself feel better and have a chance to make money. Let me start Total Reset. So some of those experiences working at DC Community Care was is very uh, noteworthy, and uh, that's really like the exception. Total Reset. Total shout out to DC Community Carrot and Harry Alford and Evan Davies is how I learned about DC Community Carrot starting uh, out. So there's two things that you mentioned, and one I guess one thing you mentioned, and one thing I want to circle back on. It's hard to navigate when you do have so many different programs or opportunities and you have a lot of local governments that have a ton of resources but in my opinion if they're not navigated properly you don't get the most out of them because they do need to be worked through kind of in a comprehensive manner so you started with project empowerment can you talk a little bit about what that is uh yes i will i love project empowerment been around for like now 14 15 years uh before i dive quickly into it i just want to say like conversely the the opposite opinion of these uh governmental programs no matter what district state you're in like usually at least using the pro of the uh, mentality when i was locked up like you go from one program to the next program to the next program right. Cycle, you feel me? It's designed uh, just to like, keep you in them, like right. Yeah. And uh, I do feel um, I do have those thoughts and feelings on the opposite end. On the positive end, uh, speaking particularly with Project Empowerment, again, I tell you the tenure, and they have produced uh, some some great some great people out of it. Um, just having the opportunity after that three week crash course inside uh, Department of Employment Services to uh, interview for a job, you know what I'm saying, in specific fields with their employer partners, like Project Empowerment, which is under Department of Employment Services, has uh, employer partners, whereas after you finish that three-week Project Empowerment crash course, depending on what you want, whether it be uh, general labor, whether it be some admin, or whether you want a, a, a trade skill, they can put you in front of them, their partner employee, and you get a chance to uh, work for like six months they give the employee six months to uh, have free labor. Uh, you get a stipend from Department of Employment Services while the employer gets free labor. But during that six months, the employer can either hire you or, you know, after that six months, let you go. But just having that work experience to put on your resume, to, to learn how to better effectively navigate in the workplace environment versus some many people just only being used to that neighborhood type situation. I love Project Empowerment. Uh, shout out to Charles Jones, the director. It's the stepping stones, right? And to me, it's you went to Project Empowerment. There was an opportunity with DC Community Care. You were exposed to different conversations and different needs. You had this entrepreneurial spirit from the jump. From when I met you, you were talking about clothing and apparel and the entrepreneur mindset of I need to generate my own wealth and then leading to total Razak and okay, I can create a system or create a business where I can monetize for myself and provide for myself, ideally bring on employees, but also have this positive impact in the community. And that route is, is what we need more of, right? Cause like you said, you can get caught up 
you can get caught up in the churn of jumping from program to program and program and never being truly upwardly mobile or taking it to the next step and the next level. Uh, so given your experience with Project Empowerment, DC Care, and now Total Resac, like what lessons or takeaways are you pulling from those experiences about what it takes to make an impact in communities? I appreciate that question. So those two resources, not the only uh, two learning resources that helped me uh, to develop into where I uh, will set me out, at least set me on the path to where I, where I am today. Uh, definitely DC Community Carry, but after that uh, work experience was over because they didn't get funding, I put myself as a participant, not a worker, but as a participant into another entrepreneur incubator called Entrepreneur to Aspire, which is another government funded program to help people uh, start businesses, but specifically to those who, who've been arrested. So working, then being a participant of uh, Entrepreneur Incubator, I learned a lot of the textbook ways to start a business, you know, like step one through uh, hypothetically step a Z or whatever, you know what I'm saying, of how to start a business. So using, uh, just focusing on the textbook knowledge, I know systematically what should be done uh, to start a business that can help uh, the community, you know what I'm saying? I, I, uh, and work, being in those two uh, uh, incubators, I learned how to better uh, navigate with different backgrounds, you feel me, like to uh, to get whatever my goals done, uh, whether I'm going down to the Wilson building or whether I'm going down to a business by the big chair, I know how to uh, uh, basically uh, engage with the consumer uh, to, to for more of an effective way. So. Definitely utilizing those experiences helped me uh, to uh, be a better resource to the community. So shout out to Changing Perceptions and Catherine Miriand with DSLBD and um, the Aspire to Entrepreneurship. I think with a lot of the entrepreneurship programs and boot camps or accelerators, and we've talked about this in another episode, you get the bones, right? Like you can get the foundations. This is how you develop your business plan. The next step is, okay, let's get the LLC and then, or get the, however you want to organize your entity. Then the next step is capital. We all need the capital to start a business and that ranges. It could be a million dollars. It could be $20,000. What if you now with total Razak and you kind of have the big picture, you know what it looks like. What do you need? Like, what's the next step for you? Whether that's capital, whether that's partnerships, what do you need to really have that high level impact for what you're doing with Total Razak to really make a, a positive impact in the District of Columbia? I appreciate that question. Uh, um, firstly, I would say it's mindset. Uh, going back to when I was in DC Community Carrot, like my mindset started to change. Um, even all the people that was in the Aspire program with me, we all have the same resources available to us. You know what I'm saying? Granted, it was other variables, like we have different uh, businesses and business different businesses have different needs, but still like space and opportunities, go get it <laughs> for real, for real. Like that mindset really is like uh, the, the driving force. Uh, now moving forward, like where the vision of Total Reset, what, what my goals are to really, I guess, scale, go to that next level is one, uh, really solidify my partnership and good uh, good relations with uh, with my main partner, uh, Hillcrest, because usually um, even after you leave that employer, if you have a good relationship, they, that employer is usually the bad phrase, a cash cow, whether it be like uh, trying to, with my other business, do some kind of partnership on, on that front or through other behavioral health consumers, like firstly solidifying that partnership, that's going to 
help total reserve build a foundation to like always scale. But that's okay it's- because you need that, like you said, to scale and to grow because especially when we're talking about mental and behavioral health, the funding is so low for a lot of resources in that space. And so you have to figure out how to monetize. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying you need the cash cow to fund what you're doing. Also, this has come up a lot, just how important relationships are. I'm thinking back to several episodes where we've talked about whether it's relationship with the banking industry, relationships with mentors, folks who can open doors to connect you to the capital and the resources to keep your business afloat. Yeah, if I can chime in for two seconds, one of my uh, barriers growing up because how I was raised, like I did everything by myself. You feel me? Like, yes. like I was determined, like I'm going to learn how to do this. I don't need this person. I don't need that person. I'm going to make it happen. And I, I can do a lot of stuff by myself for real, for real. Like some people think I got eight arms. You feel me? But <laughs> at the end of the day, like, uh, I mean, you need people. I mean, biologically, we are social people. If you don't socialize, you're going to get depressed because we need people. You feel me? So, uh, like, I had to, uh, I had to, I guess, concede, if you will, and uh, and know the the value of others, even if I think those others are idiots, don't know as much. <laughs> as I, you still got to be. You still got to have a relationship with people, especially in certain places or places where you're trying to go. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I think you're talking to two other people who tend to do things themselves as well. And we've talked about this, that when you are a very independent person or you've had experiences where you've been let down and there just aren't many folks in your family or your networks to ask, it can be hard to then have conversations that are like, I need help or I don't know what I'm doing or I need money. Like Those aren't easy things to talk about. Yeah. Facts. Big facts. Uh, Yeah. We all deal with it. Especially being an entrepreneur, you have to deal with it. And uh, some sacrifice is going to come with that. And I love what you said, the behavioral health implications, even in the partnership aspect. I argue that when you run a company or when you launch a company, and especially when you start managing people, so even if you're not running a company, every single one of your weaknesses is just elevated at a 10x level within your company. So all of your the things that you struggle with whether that's personally whether it's your security your confidence for me it was like opening mail i hate opening mail i don't know what it is it's not even i could get a check in the mail and i don't even like i'm just like oh my gosh like opening mail is just so tedious but for some odd reason i literally thought that when i launched a company I'd magically just want to open the mail. And it was the same, all of my dysfunction that I had in my personal life transferred into my business, but at a much higher scale because I had other people there watching me. And it was just really eye-opening to me that my mental health, my self-awareness, my stability had to be solid to enter into really great business dealings and business interactions. (laughs) Oh, my bad for laughing. Uh, I'm not laughing at you. I'm, oh, not, I didn't. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing at myself because if you only knew, we it would be like five other podcast episodes. It, it's it's the it's more so the the comment because uh, it does re- re- remind me of uh, what we talked about last time on the the subject of trying to build a business and your your mental or, or other kind of behavioral health. Got to be a magician when you try and start your business uh, because you are literally. Um, not stable yourself but you're trying to make something from nothing stable like you're not stable but you're trying to make something from nothing yeah. stable yeah. so i never it, even it thought about it like that really is stressful it is that's why a lot of that's why people have this disneyland magical 
vision of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm gonna pay myself, <laughs> pay myself that, but no. they don't realize the sacrifice, the friends that you think is friends at this level, you gotta get rid of uh, all these extra. Man, I might go out, you know, have a cup of drink. That's dead. You yep. broke. You gotta be broke. You feel to make it up. So, people, yeah. So, yeah. It, and it definitely the, is. the impacts. So Leah and I have talked about this. Of uh, to me, it was the devastation of the people that I thought would be there for me when I started. That were my cheerleaders when it was an idea. When I implemented and executed and actually made things happen, they disappeared on me. And I was hurt by that. And so even that and like how I was talking to myself and the narrative that I was telling myself was very, very impactful in, again, myself and also in my business. And you have to be open to that because I'm even thinking with this podcast, Katie and I, you know, sat down, we tried to map out who's our target audience, who's this podcast for. I'll be honest, the people who, when we look at the data, are listening, the people who share the podcast the most are not people we expected, yet they have been our biggest supporters and are the ones out there being a champion for us. Yeah, uh, if I can touch on that one, one more time, I appreciate the point you, you just made. Like, that's one of the things, uh, that's at least one of my my journeys of growth as an entrepreneur, having to first, uh, I guess, do like the research and figure out who are actually supporting me versus in my head, who I think is supporting me, like actually figure out who is loyal to Total Resolve with me and really catering to them, even though like I real life don't have no kind of connection with this demographic, even though like I I don't know, again, no connection with this demographic, I still have to cater to where the 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 resources, the opportunity is at. Like I really had to change my mindset to like, to be a little bit more capitalistic in that standpoint. Absolutely. I want to go back. Oh, sorry, because I was going to say, we cut you off in the middle of telling us what's next. You only told us point one, so I didn't know if you wanted to finish with oh, the other two. Sure. You had yeah, <laughs> yeah um, so Total Resact won a grant from DSOBD. The, uh, the Dream Grant basically is uh, for War 7 and 8 uh, businesses. It's a stimulus, uh, a micro-grant, but it's free money. And uh, I'm going to use that to, well, not going to, I have, because I already started purchasing stuff. <laughs> it's going down. <laughs> uh, uh, graphic design and a uh, printing company. Uh, being an entrepreneur and actually going to uh, pop-ups to not only advocate for my services, but sell my products, because I got, I got t-shirts, totalrezac.com. Um, I know the importance of branding, uh, physical branding, uh, visual branding. I know how much that can cost, especially a graphic designer, right? So um, why not grasp this opportunity within the micro-grant uh, funding and also funding for my job? I have an opportunity to, to buy all the needed capital equipment, get the team, and get, like, a structure. I have, like, a, a, a I could say a network, if you will, of uh, business-to-business uh, sales opportunities, and um, that's going to lead to uh, B2C customers as well. But uh, total result. Is going to, I haven't named it yet, it's going to do a uh, graphic design and printing company. Yeah, the marketing is huge. And I think one thing my biggest lessons was we tend to, in our business plan, save the scraps and pour that into our marketing and branding. But if people don't know about you, then you don't have a top line or revenue to begin with. And so it's very, very important. And especially if you make it conversational, you make the apparel super dope and people want to purchase it. And then they learn about what Total Razak is and what you're offering and the community support that you're giving is phenomenal. So I'm excited. I can't wait to get my shirt. 
<laughs> Fun fact, my like first first little side hustle when I was younger, my uncle owned a printing company and I used to go there after school and was responsible for like putting different packets together or folding shirts and I didn't get paid very well, but it was a little extra, <laughs> a little extra money. So I have so much respect for your business, and I'm just excited for your company. And I have skills if you need, if you need an intern. Uh, professional shirt folder, hello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kelvin, I'm so proud of you just in what you're doing, what you've been able to achieve in just a short amount of time. I think that you are the example, you are the picture of, again, taking advantage of the resources that are available to you locally and maximizing that, right? I think it's a very sometimes small percentage of the population that sets out to do something and then actually achieves it. And so I applaud you in being that person and I wish you so much success. So in moving forward, I know we could have this conversation for forever, but how can our listeners get in touch with you moving wow. forward? All right. Uh, on all social medias, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, um, my handle is at Total Razak, uh, T-O-T-A-L-R-A-Z-Z-A-Q. Uh, the website is total-razak.com. Um, you can hit me up on my email. Um which is resac.k at totalresac.com. But I'm telling you, literally, when people go to my website, I got an app, it's like, bing, bing, bing. I let people, people, I know when people go to my website and I'll be up, I'll wake up 3 a.m. on the app, start texting people, hi, I'm Rizak. Let me know if you have questions. Text back on the website when a text box show up and people can, that's not like an automated machine. That's me really texting you. So if you want to get, get at me, go to my website, see things, and I'm going to really text you. I love it. I mean, that's the mindset and the hustle of an entrepreneur. So I'm so glad I got to meet you. Thank you, Katie, for introducing us to another one of your great friends. We look forward to continuing the conversation. Uh, for sure. I'd love to uh, see you all again sometime in person, maybe. It's time for action. Checkbox Outreach is more than a podcast and simply putting a check in a box. This is about impact and moving the needle. Aaliyah and Katie, what are the next steps? All right, Aaliyah. Kelvin, Kelvin, Kelvin. He has so much insight. He just has so much insight and so much passion. I get so motivated every time I talk to him. He's so wise. I feel like I just, not knowing him and then having the opportunity to meet him, I wanted to just continue to have multiple conversations with him. I also feel like mental health, it's not an aspect we've really covered on the show before. So it's exciting to, you know, have some new content in a different topic area. Yeah. And people need to be continually talking about mental health and talk about its implications on everything that we touch throughout our day. Absolutely. I mean, for me, that was one of my major takeaways, you know, the connection between where you live, what you experience, what you see and mental health. So Kelvin talked about, you know, he's born and raised in the district, which I feel is a rarity these days and how the very hospital he was born in then changed into a homeless shelter and then is now about to become luxury condos. And I feel like far too often we don't talk about how gentrification and displacement actually have mental health impacts and Mm -hmm. the trauma that comes with seeing your neighborhood change and not just seeing it change, but seeing people you used to grow up with leave, the businesses you used to frequent, the places you used to kick it change and sort of what that does to how you experience a place um, yeah, I just feel like that's a conversation that's not really happening, especially in a recent region where there are cranes popping up every other day. Oh my gosh. There are so many cranes. I can't believe it. Yeah. Even in COVID, the cranes are nuts. 
they don't stop for luxury. (laughs) To your point, I think we aren't intentional in what we're doing and saying, what are the mental health impacts? So now you have health impact assessment, you have social impact assessment, you have all of these things. And even with HIA, to what extent is mental health really being addressed by saying, with this park or with this widening of the road. And when you look at communities and taking away and displacing folks, you're further perpetuating or further tying into this narrative of you're less than, and therefore you need to disrupt your life and uproot your life to meet the needs of the other. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I was looking at when I was preparing for this episode is just the different types of displacement. And one aspect is cultural displacement. So when shops and services, when they shift to focus on sort of the new residents who are coming into a neighborhood or when the character of a neighborhood is transformed, then where do those original residents who are trying to hang on and trying to remain in that neighborhood, where do they shop? Where can they afford? Where do they go for services? Where do they go to just feel safe and comfortable in their own neighborhood? And all of that impacts your mental health and just how you feel about yourself, how you feel in a community, the connections you're able to make. yeah. And just like the sense you feel of being in your own neighborhood. Yeah. There was a really great post article years ago called From Chocolate City to Latte City. And it talked about black people getting followed in Georgetown and in Georgetown stores. And you look at the history and what Georgetown was for black and brown people. And then to now be followed in luxury high end stores as if you can't afford or you're going to steal or you shouldn't be there. It just says a lot about the way that things are right now and that we need to be intentional in our focus and our advocacy and how we show up to say this is a problem and we need real change or yep. make and real speaking, change. Speaking of being intentional, I sent you like 10 resources to put on our website about opportunities to do development without displacement because this is possible. It should be possible for us to look at neighborhoods that have had decades and decades of disinvestment and be able to revitalize those communities, but do it in a way so that the people who live there benefit from that revitalization. So anybody who's interested, there are some short reports and then there are some long, in-depth, detailed um, articles for folks to read. I love it. I love our resource page, by the way. I think it's so bomb. Me too. Mental health is literally in everything that we do, and there's no such thing as perfect mental health. And I, I, we touched on this a little bit in that we all have something based on our upbringing, based on what we've experienced. And sometimes some people have to take medication for those things. Sometimes people need to talk to people for those things. But we have to normalize the conversation that there is no such thing as perfect mental health. I mean, I will lose my shit if you load my dishwasher wrong. Like, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. But it's true. I've embraced it. It's who I am. Like, call it what you want. But we're, there's nobody perfect out there. There are people out there going through very real struggles and it impacts their activities of daily living. It impacts how they show up in the spaces in which they exist. Absolutely. There was a part in the episode where Kelvin said one of the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur is that you are you yourself are not stable and you're trying to make something stable. And I wanted to ask you, you know, as a business owner and someone who is constantly like hustling and trying to, you know, come up with the next business opportunity, next business strategy, 
I'm not even sure like where are the resources for you to be able to go and get mental health services yeah. or help or support. Like I think I'm a part of a company and in my company, I get emails about coping services. I get emails about, you know, different resources and outlets or places that I could turn to. Um, and I, I just don't know what that looks yeah. like when you're on your own. And a lot of times in, in the entrepreneurial space, you don't know what you don't know. And you go into a lot of situations blind and not knowing. And one, it's very important to find your tribe and find other business owners who have maybe gone through that. So when you start complaining or crying or sharing your hardships or like, yeah, I went through that. Oh, you didn't pay yourself for six months. I didn't pay myself for two years. And right. So it, it normalizes it a little bit, but I remember I really, really struggled and I tried to go get counseling. Um, and I basically got rejected from the counselor because she was like, basically we, and I'm not going to say which provider, what organization this was, but they basically were like, we only have the bandwidth to see people that actually have real problems. And what you're telling me about your business and how you want to show up in life differently is not a real quote unquote problem. And I understood it, but I was still upset because I was like, no, I still just want to talk to somebody. Like I still just need to vent or I need somebody to tell me this is going to be okay. And so it's hard. And that's why even on the reentry side in launching companies, I tell people, get your foundation right. Like I would never launch a company alongside somebody who's fresh out of incarceration because there are so many things that need to be taken care of. That foundation has to be solid because it's not if you will get rocked as an entrepreneur. It's when, like when you will get gut punched, when the rug will be, you know, what is it called? When the rug will be taken out from underneath you. And you you have to be in this great headspace or or else it'll it'll really get the best of you. I mean, first of all, I am I'm like speechless because I feel like your experience should happen to nobody. If you have an issue that you want to talk about, there should be somebody there, especially if this is a profession you're trained in, to talk to you about that issue. I feel like as a country, that should be part of our healthcare package. Like everyone should be able to receive the mental health support services, whether that's therapy or just a like just a voice to be able to talk through what you're going through. Um, and I think that's even more important in a you know, the pandemic that we're facing right yeah. now when so many people feel alone and don't know what that next step is. And so. that's really my ask is for the funding for mental health resources, especially mental health resources for black men. And I know one time trying to help a friend access a psychiatrist was so difficult in the DC metro area and looking at whether or not people accepted insurance which a lot of them do not and then their availability and trying to get them on the phone I was reaching out to my network of people who I felt like were pretty influential and they still couldn't get my friend in the door and it was just mm -hmm. so eye-opening to me that you had somebody begging for help and their the first answer was well if they really need serious help they can go to an emergency room and so the funding has to be there. The funding is critical. And then the conversations also have to be aligned with it. Right. And I mean, something we have not touched on at all in the episode was also the stigma that can come with seeking out mental health services. So I think the more we have the conversation, the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it so that folks, you know, feel much more comfortable saying like, I'm talking to somebody about this issue I have, or I have a therapist and you know what? I love going to see them. Yep. And to have something, somebody or an entity like Total Razak of being like, hey, this is, we're here, we're having the real conversations, we have resources for you, and to get the ball rolling. And in terms of resources, I guess kind of a hard pivot, but 
we have to, when we're talking about these things, look at the alignment and be very comprehensive in our approach because a lot of local funding or programmatic activities are locally funded. And so how do we make the best use for our, our local dollars to say, okay, let's involve mental health, let's involve the entrepreneurship programs, let's involve the the academic programs, let's involve the tech programs. Like this, we have to have broader conversations about how this all is interwoven together to actually have real success for the people navigating these systems and these programs. Because it, right now it's like one off and there's not a clear trajectory for people to be successful. But I mean, if you take Kelvin's story, I think he's a perfect example, what he shared of like what that comprehensive program looks like. Like he talked about the reason why he's investing in mental health and behavioral health is because somebody invested in that for him so that he could start his business. So like starting with that as the foundation and the self-work to get yourself right, to be able to carry out your ideas. Then he talked about the two programs he went through and how they, you know, connected him to a network, how there were job skills and job training, but then there was also a job waiting on the other side. I think an internship he talked about with the potential to be hired. And then you talked about kind of the final piece of then once you have that, how do you get the capital? So now I've done the self-work, I've built the relationships, I've got the skills, I have a potential job, and now I need the resources to be able to invest in myself to take it to the next step. And I mean... I don't know. I, I took me a minute to try to figure out. I was like, what was his next step when he started talking about the printing business? As I looked at his website, part of that is he's taking mental health and trying to print, you know, messages and posters and T-shirts to normalize this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so it all kind of ties together from the investment in him to the idea he had to the ability to make it a reality. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to give the district their props in doing that. I think a lot of other local jurisdictions are struggling in where do the pieces fit together and to really look at life cycle planning for these activities and these initiatives. So from birth to postgraduate or adult education, like where are we meeting the needs of the people, but not at our expense to where we're really we're not having a significant ROI and Kelvin's a go-getter, right? He will, you give him, you give him a task. He's going to go do it and beat anybody's expectations, but not everybody's a go-getter. And how, what are we providing support for people who might be afraid to seek help or might not know where to go? I think that infrastructure has to be, the infrastructure just has to look a little bit different moving forward. I think you are absolutely right. I think that's where we end it. I mean, Done. that that's what else to say. <laughs> I get so excited for these things and I'm like, but who's going to who's going to come up with the solution? We can't come up with every solution, Aaliyah. So, for our listeners, you know, if you have solutions, if you have ideas, like please, like let's keep the conversation going because we need to come up. Sometimes we have, might have to spoon feed a decision maker or an elected official uh, an answer. Yes. And I can promise you, if you want to talk about this, Kelvin is waiting and hungry. To oh, talk I know. To you. So go to his website, message him, and you will get a response within 30 seconds. <laughs> Bet. Thank you for listening to another episode of Checkbox Outreach. Our episodes are available on iTunes, on Spotify, as well as our website. We also can be found on Twitter at Disrupt Outreach.